Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. All right, good day to everybody. It is Monday morning, April 26th. This is another Monday morning's musings. I have had a two-week break because I was out of town. A fun thing to do, you know, once uh, you get two episodes uh, recorded and then you take a two-week break, but I'm back at it. I am Alan Bevere. I'm a pastor, professor, and I am the self-appointed chair of podcast theology at Faith Seeking Understanding University, where all seekers are welcome. So let's kind of, uh, for the next approximately 30 minutes, uh, get into the conversation. So we have several things to talk about. I think first and foremost, right off the bat, would be to uh, reflect a little on the Derek Chauvin uh, trial and verdict. Daryl Chauvin, uh, Derek Chauvin was the police officer who uh, kneeled on the neck of George Floyd for nine plus minutes and uh, Floyd subsequently died. And uh, he was charged with three various counts and all the counts came back guilty, which surprised a lot of people that he would be convicted on all three counts, but he was. Um, I can tell you in conversation with my African-American friends, they were stunned by that. But uh, let me just offer some thoughts, some reflections on uh, some of the things that are going on today in reference to race relations and law enforcement. I do think that the verdict was a just verdict. I don't think there should be any place in this world where anyone should be allowed to kneel on the neck of anyone, anyone else for nine plus minutes. So I think um, that this was a just verdict. It doesn't necessarily uh, fix things. It doesn't give us justice, but uh, it uh, is a reminder to us that accountability is important. We all should be accountable, police officers, firefighters, pastors, teachers, lawyers, politicians. That one's the real hard one, isn't it? Uh, to keep them accountable. But the reality is accountability is something that we all need. It's something that we have to have. It's hard in our culture to really work through these complex issues in our society, the racial issues and other issues in our society. Partly because, at least at the moment, for sure, we're involved in either or thinking. Um, it's this or it's that. The news media doesn't help us. Uh, we have cable news channels that clearly lean to one side or the other. Um, they may, you know, bring on guests to dissent uh, occasionally, but the reality is they have got. 
an agenda that they want to promote. And so there's no both and thinking uh, or very little both and thinking in our culture and our society. And those who want to do both and thinking usually are not listened to. It is possible to support Black Lives Matter and law enforcement. It's not an either or. And complex thinking requires nuance. So I have a little bit of a theory on this. The theory is, is that for a lot of us human beings, nuance is difficult. Now, what is nuance? Nuance is the ability to see the shades in an issue, not just simply black and white, but being able to see gray. Now, yes, there's issues that are black and white. There are issues for which there, there can be no compromise, right? Um, but we struggle to see the gray. We are not encouraged to try to understand uh, our opponent, I'm gonna use that term for the moment, our opponent's position. We, we, uh, we, we can't really comprehend that there could be a third way other than either or. And so because of that, we're polarized or dichotomized. And it is just simply difficult to have a real good um, I would say good and substantive debate because nuance is hard. The other thing is thinking in complexity is also hard. It, complexity reveals to us that our worldview is not simple, that our view of the world cannot be put in a Facebook meme. And that can be difficult. We like the world neat and tidy. We like our understanding of the world to be neat and tidy. And so for those of us who have been supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement, for those of us who believe that we need to confront uh, and deal with the racial issues, the embedded racism, the systemic racism, and it exists, um, if we are in that vein, people automatically assume that I can't support law enforcement or I don't support law enforcement when actually Alex was a police chaplain for two years. So part of the problem here in having this conversation is you, you either support uh, George Floyd and what happened or you support Derek Chauvin. No, actually I support both of them. I hope Derek Chauvin, uh, even though he's going to prison for a long time, I don't rejoice in his conviction. In fact, I think his conviction, the fact that, that we had to have a trial because of what was done uh, is, the is a tragedy, tragedy in and of itself. And I think that there is no occasion for rejoicing, but there is an occasion for some hope that maybe finally we're having a conversation that we have been needing to have for a long time. Um, and that some people now are finally coming to the table who have been in denial. But it's not going to serve the cause, the cause of reconciliation, if we are always thinking in either or categories. And the church, let me say something about the church. The church, uh, you know, 
the heart of the gospel was reconciliation. St. Paul says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We are agents of reconciliation. God wants to bring the entire world together. God wants to save the world and the church. We must be agents of reconciliation. And yet we undermine that reconciliation because we're as polarized as the rest of the world. Now, I'm not suggesting churches shouldn't be diverse. In fact, I like diversity. I have I've, every church I've served, I've had Democrats and Republicans, every church I've served, I've had people who've had different views on this issue or that issue. Uh, the issues are important and need to be discussed, but we cannot, we cannot invite the world into a, a way of relationship and reconciliation um, if we ourselves are not reconciled to ourselves. I think of St. Paul where he says to the Ephesians that uh, in Christ, God has broken down the dividing wall. And it's the dividing wall of hostility, not just between us and God, but between one another. So the church of all places needs to avoid, needs to reject this kind of dual binary thinking that everything has to be either or. It doesn't have to be either or. Um, and so I think that that's a way we can continue this, this conversation. Another thing that, that strikes me here in the midst of this is that for those of us who are white, we need to do a lot less speaking when it comes to racial problems and tensions. And we need to do a lot more listening to our sisters and brothers of color. You know, I will say about 20 years ago, perhaps, I'll say 20 years ago, I, I was very insensitive. I, I, I held a view that uh, basically was that yes, racism is a terrible thing, but for me, racism was the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, it was white supremacy. That was the racism, and so I really, rejected it. And part of it was because it wasn't my experience. I had rejected the idea that no, racism isn't really embedded. It's not really system. There's not really in our system. There's not unacknowledged prejudices. It's just that we've got people who are racist and we need to do everything we can to keep them, certainly keep them out of power um, and, and uh, find ways to uh, Mute, mute their voice while allowing them to speak and exercise their First Amendment rights, if I can say it that way. But, you know, over the years, I've, I've taught Christian ethics for years. And when you teach Christian ethics, at some point you get to race. One of the things I started doing maybe about 15 years ago or so is that when we would come to that portion of the class, I would open up the discussion and I would ask specifically my African-American students, this is your turn to talk to me and talk to the rest of us. Tell us about your experience as a person of color in American society. And so we would listen. I would only talk uh, sometimes for questions of clarification if I didn't understand something or if I wanted to make sure I understood something. But other than that, I let them speak. And over time, I began to see, because I was hearing their nearly universal experience of unacknowledged prejudice in the culture, 
systemic racism, embedded racism. Um, I remember hearing time and time again, particularly of the men saying that when they were boys, at one point, their father sat them down and had the talk with them about what to do if you ever stopped by the police. My father never had that talk with me. And in fact, I grew up being told that if you're in trouble, make sure you go to a police officer. So why are African-Americans, why are there, why are there, my, my friend's parents, had, why did they have this discussion with them? And so I began to understand that there are things that are embedded in our society that are, that are racial. Um, and, and I think that it's hard for those of us who, who are white to comprehend and understand that because that's not our world. But my point is, is that we simply need to be willing to listen. We need to stop white-splaining to African-Americans what their experience, how to interpret their experience. We need to just listen. And in listening, we can learn a lot. And then we also ask them what it is that we can do to come alongside them to assist uh, in, this, in this continued experience where not all persons are judged equally in our society. Uh, we don't have to tell them how to solve the problem. Uh, that also is racially biased, that they can't solve the problem and we white folk need to come in and help out. We need to be careful about that kind of thinking, but it's there and it's something that we need to continue on uh, in reference to uh, working for racial equality in our society. By the way, for those of us who are Christians who believe that in Christ there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, this is important. Uh, this isn't, this is strikes at the heart of the gospel that God has come to offer salvation equally to all. And uh, the last place that should see that kind, the kind of prejudice and racism in our society, the last place people should see it is the church. All too often, that's where it's hiding. All right, so let's talk, let's move on. I wanna talk about cancel culture. Um, LeBron James recently spoke out, uh, there was, uh, in fact, just after the, the Derek Chauvin decision, not 20 minutes or 30 minutes after, there was uh, a young 14-year-old African-American uh, child who was shot and killed by police. She actually had called police for help because she was being attacked. And uh, LeBron James sent out a tweet, an unfortunate tweet in my mind, that he finally, he finally, uh, he did delete it, but there is a bar owner in Cincinnati uh, who is saying that he will not uh, show another N NBA game in his bar until uh, LeBron is uh, jettisoned from the NBA. Well, that's not going to happen. Uh, so, you know, buddy, so just know that you're not going to be watching NBA uh, at this uh, at this bar until LeBron retires, whenever that is. So it's not going to happen. But, you know, in, we've been talking of late about cancel culture. And I really always um, get suspicious when we start sloganizing something, whether it's wokeness, 
or whether it's cancel culture. Both of these uh, ideas express legitimate concerns, but when you start sloganeering it, look out because everything becomes that, or it's either cancel culture or it's not, or it's either wokeness or it's not. And I get really nervous about that because we actually undermine the concern. The fact of the matter is, when we talk about cancel culture, we only talk about it when it's our ox that's being gored, right? It's only cancel culture when it's my book, uh, my favorite author who's no longer being published, or whether it's my person who is not allowed to speak, so we say. Um, I crack up at politicians who talk about how they're being canceled and cancel culture, and yet their comments are on, on cable news and all over the newspaper. Boy, uh, you're not, doesn't sound to me like you're really being canceled. Uh, but but we, need to, we need to cancel the idea of cancel culture. We live in a free society. And here's how this works, right? LeBron James is free to speak his mind. He has a First Amendment right. He doesn't have to stay in his lane and dribble, as one pundit said, suggested a while back. He gets to say what he wants. It's his right. He's free. At the same time, a person is free to say, you know what? I don't like what he said. I'm not going to any, any uh, NBA games anymore. That's freedom too, right? Um, people have freedom to do these things. Uh, we had a, back, in, back when George Bush was president, we had a uh, country music group uh, say something disparaging about uh, W when, when he was in office and there was a lot of blowback from, from their fans. Well, that's the way the first, that's the way freedom works. They get to say what they want. You get to decide whether to support that or not, right? Um, you get to decide whether you're going to buy Ben and Jerry's ice cream or not because you don't like their political position or Starbucks or whoever it might be. This is the way, this is not, first of all, this is not only the way freedom works, it's the way the market works. You know, I, I crack up at that the people who seem the most uh, uh, in, incensed about cancel culture are the, are the people who are uh, the biggest fans of free markets. Well, this is the free market working. This is the free market working. And, and if uh, somebody wants to make a political statement that's controversial, they can do it. For those who don't want to then uh, support them by buying their products, they don't have to do that. This is the way that it works. So let's cancel, cancel culture. Uh, it's high time we moved on and, and really got to the good conversation about how to have good conversations uh, in, our, in our context about very important issues that, that all of us feel strongly uh, about. All right, so let's uh, shift gears here for uh, a little bit. Let's talk about um, John chapter 10, 11, verses 11 through 18, Jesus the Good Shepherd, uh, pondering that this morning, or pondering that yesterday in worship. Um, Jesus, the good shepherd. I think it's important to know the word good because there are shepherds. I don't know that all of them are good. Now, I don't know the first thing about being a shepherd, but I suggest as in any job or any profession, there are people who do it well and people who uh, not so well. Uh, whether they're pastors or lawyers or teachers or whatever, 
You've got some people who do really well and some people who don't. Jesus doesn't say, I am the mediocre shepherd. Thank God he doesn't say that. He, I am the good shepherd. And why is he the good shepherd? He is the good shepherd because the sheep matter. He cares about the sheep. Seems to me that we are reminded of the goodness of Jesus the shepherd by the words and deeds of the shepherd. We know he's a good shepherd because of what he says and does. This is how we know what goodness is. This is how we know when people are good or not, by their words and their deeds. And it matters. The one thing that strikes me about this passage is Jesus is not only the good shepherd who cares for the sheep, but the sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. Um, you know, it is really something when we get to know the voices of other people and we hear their voices and their voices often, because we get to know who they are, their voices either comfort us or their voices may be great against us if we know them. Maybe we listen extra closely when we hear certain voices because we know these people are wise. So we wanna hear what they have to say. It could be, it could be that the voice becomes important because of the character of the person who has the voice. So it is a reminder to us that Jesus, the good shepherd, is good because of the fact that he was willing to give everything, including his own life for the sheep. You know, we have those, uh, all of us have seen those paintings of Jesus, you know, the good shepherd throughout the centuries. There have been various portrayals of Jesus as the good shepherd and the sheep surrounding him. It's a very idyllic, very idyllic, very, a very peaceful scene. And that's good. That's, that's part of, uh, of the imagery that's conveyed to us when is Jesus the good shepherd. But another part of the imagery that I think is, is it needs to be conveyed <clears throat> is that in Jesus's day, being a shepherd could be very dangerous. Um, and even, even the thousand years before Jesus, when, when David, before he was king, was a shepherd uh, in Israel in 1000 BC, Israel had lions, Israel had bears, and uh, bears like lamb. And uh, so as a, a good shepherd, we needed to be ready to defend the sheep against such predators. To be a shepherd can be a dangerous job. Jesus more than adequately fits the description he is willing to give his life for us. And that reminds me that as a member of the flock, I need to faithfully follow and listen to the voice of the shepherd when he speaks. All right, so let's, uh, let's end today with... Um, just uh, uh, some, oh, I guess I'll call them trivial reflections, and that is Zoom meetings. Uh, I'm about Zoomed out, and uh, I, I think it's a great technology. I think it's wonderful that we can do this, but I've got to tell you, um, I, 
I miss, uh, I miss the human interaction. I miss it. I, I uh, enjoy it. Um, of course, we've got, we're, we're in a situation now, I don't know what, what your situation is, but we're, we're meeting in person more and doing more things. And that's, that's good. And that's helpful. And I think that Zoom is here to stay now that we, we've used Zoom for new venues. Um, and that's good too. And so I'll continue to use Zoom. But folks, no, technology, no matter how good it is, will never replace human interaction. We need face-to-face -face, uh, with one another. We need each other's presence. And so I, uh, I hope that we, in this time of COVID, have come to appreciate uh, one another's presence and that uh, we will know, we will, we will have re been reinforced in the fact uh, that there's just no substitute, that being with people, sitting around the table, having coffee is much to be preferred over a Zoom meeting. All right. So friends, I think that's about the end of, of the Monday morning musings for today. I hope you have uh, a great week. And always remember that seekers are welcome uh, to always tune in and reflect and send me a message. Uh, and that as Christians, we are about our faith seeking understanding. Always be a seeker. So may you be blessed in this day. May you continually be curious and may you always seek to understand more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to live the scandal of the gospel in the world today. Have a great week.